Okay, Marcus. So, uh, I'm actually, uh, to start the recording off, very pleased to hear that you've chosen the kind of profession that may be of enormous value to people, but not necessarily in the medical model, because the medical model puts the doctor in charge and the client remains in a victim's position. But what we have to do first off here is to get you into the model that you are the champion, you're the winner of your own life. And then you can point that out and help other people practice that so that they can become champions in their own life also, rather than remaining victims to the depression, the anxiety, um, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, now, um, one of the points that I would like to make is, is that I, uh, I have come to understand that the distinction between psychiatric and, neuro uh, 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 and neurosis is an artificial boundary that's based upon, uh, let us say, results rather than really what's going on in the mind. Uh, that that often psychosis has the quality of some sort of brain damage, some sort of neurological problem, and that neurosis is a thought disorder. But one of the things that's important to understand is, is that it's all chemical. It's all chemical. And so a thought disorder is going to create the same kind of chemicals in the brain that are there if they if they uh, was actually a, a a physical disorder within the brain, and that in fact hallucinations are common. Some people just get caught at it, and those are the ones who get locked up. But hallucinations are quite common. Why do I say that is because we're always listening to the thoughts that we have as if they were coming from someplace else anyway. An example of that is all the rules that we learn as a child. We remember those rules and then we tell ourselves those rules, even though we can't follow the rules. And so we make rules, we set the rules, we repeat the rules, and then we fail to keep up to the standard of the rules and we feel bad. And that can be uh, either uh, easygoing, medium, or heavy duty. And if it's really heavy duty, we could call it a psychiatric case. But really, it's just a thought disorder. And so what we're actually practicing with the teachings of the Buddha is to change, intentionally practice changing the way that we think. An example of that would be going back to music. If the child sits at the keyboard and just bangs on it in frustration because he can't play the music, then all he's going to get is the banging of the noise. But if he will focus and put his thumb down on C and then his index on D and then the middle finger on C and then roll it over so that he's got the thumb on F, he can learn to play a scale. But he has to practice it 
over and over and over again, rather than continuing to bang on the piano, right? So this is how we begin to practice in, in meditation or in the practice of Anapanasati is actually practicing having the thoughts that we want to think rather than having the thoughts that we're in the habit of thinking. And that will work regardless of what diagnosis some other shrink has put on someone. That everybody will benefit from having wholesome thoughts. That we can't make this dichotomy and saying these people we can't fix and these people are hard to fix. And the answer is everybody can fix their own mind if they had the skills and the tools to do so. And so if I can pass those skills to you, you can pass those skills on to others. That's the way of looking at it, okay? Mm -hmm. So that that does not necessarily mean that you're going to waltz into the nearest locked facility, open the doors and say, everybody go home, you can go do what you want to do because that's they're not skilled yet. They have to develop those skills. And so uh, this, and some people don't even know that they have to, uh, to make skills. I'll give you an example. There was a woman who was diagnosed as uh, uh, borderline. Mm -hmm. I can stand the term borderline. And after a lot of time with her, I came to find out that basically she was just merely retarded and didn't have social skills. And she would make really bad decisions that she wound up with that label. Hmm. And that if she did have the skills and was taught the skills for, uh, to, to deal with people at a social level, then she could have an adequate life. That the, uh, uh, the retardation, her lack of being able to figure things out then was the problem. That she was not necessarily that close to being schizoid or schizophrenic or anything like that. They had mislabeled her. That if anything, they should have labeled her as uh, retardation and then get her to an occupational therapist. <laughs> to start to teach her the skills that she needed. In a way, we can say, well, that's the problem with everybody. Everybody has the problem that we don't have the right social skills that we need. And the reason for that is, is because the, the, when we were raised, the people around the little child that we were didn't have the social skills either. And so they passed their mental illnesses on to the children. And so we wind up with an entire culture of people who are mentally ill. Some of them are just functional. But we're all mentally ill. Bhikkhu Dasa talks about it in the sense of a spiritual disease. Every one of us has a spiritual disease. Why? Because we're not at ease. We're at dis-ease. 
And if we can learn to practice being easy and, and being at ease, then we don't have a disease. And so this is how we practice Anapanasati then, is to get the mind into a state of ease by focusing on things that are easy rather than things that are hard. And here we go around having a hard life is because we keep focusing on what's hard rather than focusing on what's easy. And one of the easy things to start focusing on is our breathing. In fact, our breathing is the only thing that's important. Nothing else is important. Now, I know that psychiatric hospitals are all kinds of full of important things, rules, regulations, um, <laughs> diagnosis, all of that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is that the only thing that is important is this next breath. That's the only thing that's important is can you breathe? If we can breathe, we can survive. That's all that we need to think about doing is just getting this next breath. And if we're skilled at doing that, then this next breath is going to be easy. And so we begin to practice on having a nice, long, deep, easy breath. This is the Anapanasati. And by doing so, we begin to focus on uh, the actual elements of the Eightfold Noble Path that bring this about. Number one is to remember that if you had, if you could remember that you've always got a choice, are you going to have it easy or hard? But we often don't remember that we've always got that choice. We don't remember that we've got a, a choice. We could make it easier. We could make it hard. And, we, and because we were trained to make it hard, we wind up making it hard. For instance, arguing with someone over something that's really not important at all. But we want to be right. We think being right is important. Well, being right is not important. Just staying alive is important. Taking the next breath is important. That's the only thing that's important at all. And so this is uh, the point about remembering is that we have to remember this to stop making things hard and start making things easy. And so we practice this over and over again. We have tried to make things hard thousands and thousands of times, sometimes hundreds of times a day. And so we built up quite a habit of making things hard. Yeah. And so. So now we have to actually practice making things easy. We have to remember to practice to make things easy. Now, the Buddha uses the language like unwholesome thoughts and wholesome thoughts. And I'm making the equation that unwholesome thoughts are almost always the hard thoughts. Any hard thought is going to be generally unwholesome. And an easy thought is going to generally be a wholesome thought. So we need to remember to start practicing having easy thoughts. To remember everything is okay, everything is fine, not a problem, not a worry, no reason to worry. And if you can help the people on the ward to see that, the, you know, everything is nice here. 
You got everything that you need. You get free food. You get free medicine. You get this, that, and the other thing. You've got your time. Why do you go around feeling bad and making your life hard when you've already got it fixed up to where your life is really easy? Yeah, well, sometimes people actually get used to the niceties of the life there and then they don't want to go home. <laughs> and that's a big Precisely problem, too. So. Well, it's not necessarily a problem. Because if we can teach them how to be happy and easy in the facility, then we can teach them how to be happy and easy when they go someplace else, if they're going to the right place. And many of them see that the only place that I could go after I leave this facility is to some hellhole. Homeless, out of, you know, so that transition phase is really important. To be, so that they recognize that they can feel easy. But most of them who are in the facility, their life is not easy anyway. But in fact, what you're talking about is actually well known in the prison industry. That if an inmate spends enough years in prison, then he gets the idea, I don't even know what it's like on the outside. I couldn't make it on the outside. And if he gets discharged from prison, He'll go commit a crime because, number one, that's all he knows how to do. And number two, he doesn't mind going back to the facility because he finds out that the getting free and getting out of prison and getting out on the streets, the streets are a kind of a prison, too. And at least he knows the prison that uh, 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 that he was in, and he doesn't know this prison out on the streets. Okay, so that's a very common thing that happens, uh, that uh, uh, that people will be repeat offenders simply because they don't have the skills. They didn't have the skills and got uh, locked up the first time. Now, if we can teach them the skills, then they can come out of it. Not only out of the prison, the physical prison, they can come out of the mental prison that they've made for themselves also. So we can call then that this disease, this mental disease that we have, because we're not taking our life easy, is exactly the same thing as a mental prison, that we have no freedom. We're locked up in our way of thinking. And so making the change to that, and in fact, we're locked up into a way of thinking that everything is hard. Instead of having the freedom to think that everything is easy. Now, when we think of everything as hard, that basically puts us in a victim's position. When we see things as hard or tough, then we think that we're kind of victimized by them. But if we see everything as easy, then that also has the quality that we feel strong enough to handle it. It's not so heavy. This is a winner's attitude. The attitude of being able to win, be able to succeed, be able to succeed at feeling easy. And so they go together like that. And so these four items on the Eightfold Noble Path, to wake up and to look at, at the fact that we're making things hard, and then take the additional effort to make them easy to change that hardness into making things easy 
And now we can congratulate ourselves for being the champion of something that was easy, that we were a victim to when it was hard. And we have to keep practicing this over and over and over again because we're in such a habit of making things hard. And now we have to actually practice making things easy. This is the way that we practice over and over and over again is to start changing the thoughts that we have from thoughts that are uncomfortable, unwholesome, thoughts of difficulties, and begin to see everything is easy. Everything is light. But in fact, as a resident, if you begin to deal with the people, air how heavy that person is, if they if you allow them, they will rub their uh, hard onto you and you'll feel hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that means that you need to practice your ease that's strong enough so that when they when you walk into the situation where you're dealing with someone who thinks things is hard, he can't make it hard for you. That you're still remaining easy. And if you can do that, then soon, eventually, you can start teaching him how to take it easy. But you can't take it. You can't teach him how to take it easy if you don't know how to take it easy. And so the question then is, is the difference between the psychiatrist and the, uh, uh, the locked up inmate? The only difference is what because both of them take things hard one just gets away with it maybe that's because it's just not quite so hard and so here's where we all have to start practicing of bringing things back to being easy to start having wholesome thoughts to start working with the breath so that we have a nice long deep easy breath you probably know enough about neuroscience that you readily agree that when people are uptight, when they're afraid, then they're, they block their breathing. It's called the fight, flight, or freeze syndrome, and most people will freeze up when things are heavy. We freeze up. So we have to also remember that the unfreezing quality has to do with taking a proper breath, getting enough oxygen in the system so that we can feel energized rather than tired. And so this is where we practice Anapanasati, the practice of beginning to breathe well, to remember to breathe well, to remember to take long, slow, easy breathing. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, when I practice what you're talking about, I wind up being tense. The answer to that is that's because when you're breathing easy, you're also having thoughts of being tense. Mm -hmm. Rather than having all easy thoughts, that if you're actually thinking about easy and breathing easy, then you will begin to settle down and the feelings will become easy also. And an important quality is, is to start with the feeling of safety and security 
So not only in your own practice, but that's one of the things that you can deal with when you're dealing with people is to out loud tell them, hey, man, you're safe here. Everything is going to be okay. You don't have to worry. There's no reason to be afraid. But you could be safe. If you feel safe and secure, only then can you begin to feel comfortable. So we actually want to practice in our practice sessions of Anapanasati is to talk ourselves into feeling safe and secure. So if you feel safe and secure when you go into that locked ward, you'll be okay. But if you walk into that locked ward thinking those people in there are dangerous, then you're going to carry your fear in there and spread that instead. So coming to the state of becoming not necessarily fearless, let me make that distinction for you. Safe and secure is not the same at all as feeling fearless. Fearlessness is when a warrior gets his gear on and goes into battle. He's uh, full of courage. He knows that there's danger and he's got to go solve the problem. Okay. But if he felt safe and secure, then he would not see that enemy as an enemy. He would see it as a friend. And instead of dressing for battle, he'd cook dinner. He's got a guest coming. And I'm not afraid of my guest. If I'm afraid of my guest, I'm not going to fix dinner. I'm going to get dressed for battle. But if I'm not afraid of the guest, then I'll cook dinner instead. So think of it like that. We begin to recognize I'm not, I don't have any need for being fearless. What I have need for is to see that everything is already safe. There's no problem here for me to get uptight and afraid of. And so uh, while you're in seclusion, like the room that you're in, is safe. You don't have any boogeymen in the closet. There's no bear under the table. Everything is safe and secure. So we can take a deep breath and feel safe and secure. Thinking thoughts of being safe and secure. That's one of the things about the psychiatric place is, is that the people generally do not feel safe. That when they see the psychiatrist walk on the ward, they all get tensed up. They see anybody walk in the ward. <gasps> what is that? Right? And so that's a, a standard thing. It's human. We all carry around fears. We got in the habit of being afraid because we were children. And children have a good reason to be afraid of adults. Adults are dangerous. But you're an adult now. You're a big boy now. There's nothing to fear from those adults around you. And so this is the, uh, a primary thing to start working with. And, and uh, because of the situation that you're in, I will harp on this. And that is the issue of feeling safe and then promoting feeling safe to your, the people around you. If the people around you feel safe, they won't need quite so much medication. Medication is there because to help them control their fear. And if they don't feel fear, 
we don't need the medication, at least right now. We don't need it. We only need it when people are uptight. And so how can we teach them? Well, one is, is to give them an example. So it's important for you to get your fear conquered. So that you can walk on that ward, happy as a lark, knowing that you're completely safe and secure. And radiate that to the people around you. They'll pick up on it. And so this is how we begin to practice is recognize that our the way that we live our lives on the inside affects the way that we live our lives on the outside and we affect other people also. So it's, it's almost now even more important for you to start to work on this getting feeling of safe and secure. So start practicing that. Over and over again, keep reminding yourself, everything's all right right now. Everything is fine. No dangers, no worries, no problems. Everything is easy. Nothing hard about it. And so these, this is the kind of language that we would use. Having easy words, safe words, feeling uh, confident. That in fact, if we do feel safe, confidence will grow. And so the order that we go in, number one, is to feel safe. If you do not feel safe when you're sitting in your meditation, there's no place else to go. That's the very first thing that we've got to get, is to feel safe and secure. So if you do feel safe and secure, now we can feel comfortable. If we do not feel safe, that's an automatic feeling of discomfort. But if we can feel safe and secure, now we can begin to feel comfortable. Getting comfortable, the next step along the way is becoming satisfied. If we can feel safe, secure, and comfortable, isn't that good enough right now? Isn't that enough? And so now we can begin to feel satisfied. Yeah, this is okay. This, this is all there is. This is everything that we need. And if you can feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied when you go on to these wards, you will exude safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. And people will begin to pick up on that very slowly. This is actually the beginning now of the, of, remember we were talking about a piano teacher? Okay, they need to have a piano teacher who actually knows how to play the piano, can demonstrate playing the piano. And so every time you walk on the ward, you have to ask yourself, am I ready to go on this ward? Feeling safe and secure and comfortable and satisfied. So we begin to practice that way. Do right now, do I feel safe, secure? comfortable and satisfied? Do the thoughts that I have make me feel safe, secure, and satisfied? And if they don't, let's change the thoughts to thoughts that do feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. And so this is the way that we practice doing this over and over again. These three things run and circle around each other, building this up. 
What are those three things? Sati, to remember, to take a look at what we're doing in the mind, how we feel, to remember to look at it, and then to take the right effort to make a change, to throw that hard out and make it soft, make it easy, to throw the dangers out and recognize there are no dangers. We could feel safe and secure over and over and over again. These three things of to remember, to look, and to make a change. To remember, to look, and to make a change over and over and over again. And as we do that, something new begins to happen. And that is we begin to get the attitude, I do feel safe, I do feel secure, I do feel comfortable, I do feel satisfied, I can do this, I can feel satisfied, and now we're adding the additional element of success. I'm successful at being safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. This is the attitude change, the I can do it attitude. This is in the Pali is Sama Sankapa. And so we add this fourth item to the first three, and now right attitude actually helps the the effort that if we've got the right attitude then there's not so much effort that's needed an example of that would be that the teenage boy is at home and his mom walks into the kitchen and sees there's a pile of garbage and she has already decided in her mind that there's a rule that the teenage boy has to take out the garbage and so she comes in and she sees all this garbage and she yells at her kid to go take out the garbage, blah, blah, blah. You know all about it. And he gets the garbage because he's got to take it out and he takes it out. But it's a struggle. It's hard work. He doesn't like it. Fast forward a while. And now this kid walks into the kitchen all by himself on his own and he sees that pile of garbage and the thought comes mom will be really pleased if i take out the garbage she'll be surprised and so he takes out the garbage this time but it's not nearly so much effort because he's got an attitude change So this is where we're going, is to change that attitude. And if we change our attitude, then our life really does become easy. And what is the attitude? Life is easy. And if we have the attitude that life is easy, that it's a piece of cake, that I can handle this, and we go around with that thought and that feeling, then guess what? Life does become easy. Life does become a piece of cake. But we have to practice this over and over and over again because the natural mind state is to go back to the old way. To go back to, oh no, it's hard. Oh, I can't make things easy. They're too hard to make easy. That's a common thing that the students will say. And the answer is keep practicing. See that you're, you're making it hard when in fact it was easy. It was already easy. And we make it hard. But the natural place is, is that it's, it's easy. Here's an example of that. How heavy is this cup?
How heavy is it? Not particularly. Well, here's the point. I didn't ask how much it weighed. <laughs> because how much it weighed is measurable. How heavy is an emotional, psychological thing. And guess what? The longer I hold it, the heavier it will get. But if I hold it for five minutes, that's okay. I'm strong enough to do that. But I can't hold it for five hours. I want to give it up. And five days, my arm will get really, really in bad shape. And for five years, and I'm going to be like one of these Hindu swamis with an atrophied arm. Okay. So it has to do then with the heaviness has to do with how many times or how often or how keep coming back and holding it and holding it and holding it. But the easy thing to do is to set it down. In fact, when the cup is sitting on the table, how heavy is it now? It's not heavy at all. It's not heavy at all. <laughs> it's just sitting there. That's all by itself. The heaviness was because I was trying to hold it. When I just drop things, just set them down, they're not heavy anymore. That would help you also in the sense that if you have the idea that you can help someone and therefore in order for you to feel good, they have to get help. Mm -hmm. and then they don't get helped. And so we work at trying to get some help to that guy, and he won't take the help. So we make him heavy, because we keep picking him up and picking him up, rather than just letting him be. That in fact, if we can deal with him as if he's not heavy at all, then he might begin to see that he's not heavy. But if we get heavy because we want him to change, then all we're presenting him with is our own heaviness, and that proves him right all along. So in the position that you're in, we have to work on both sides of this. Actually, everybody does, but you're in a particular situation to where you do have a power over people that you don't even know you've got. And the way to handle that power correctly is by handling it on the inside correctly and start making your life easy. And then your easy life will begin to rub off on all of those people who are locked up because for them, life is really hard. So what do you think? Yeah, I think it's uh, like true. Like even my uh, my attending said that like just the uh, <clears throat> when you're in interacting with uh, with the patient, just the fact that uh, if your nervous system is calm, like they will pick up on it to some degree, and it will mm -hmm. like uh, calm their anxiety a bit. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously, even they may not even be aware that they're picking up on your calmness. And if your calmness is strong, then that will overpower their uptightness and they will begin slowly to calm down too. But if your calmness is not strong, then they're going to agitate you. Yeah, 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that relationship is there, in fact, uh, there's a Pali word for it. It's called mudita. And it's often referred to as sympathetic vibration. But we literally pick up from others what they're feeling. And if we're wise, we will set up the situation so that they pick up what we feel. And if we're ignorant, then we'll wind up picking up what they feel. So if somebody is angry, one of the things that you know for sure is, is that they want other people to be angry also. That helps justify their anger. If I'm angry, I want other people to be angry. If I'm sad, I want other people to be sad. If I'm having a pity party, misery loves company. Everybody I want miserable as much as me. Okay, so that's just a natural way that we go around spreading around the way that we feel to other people. This is just simple psychology. <laughs> You've known all of this all along. But now we're beginning to understand, oh, well, we can use this simple stuff that we all know as actual working tools. That we can use these as skills. That you do have an effect upon the way that other people feel. And if you want them to feel a certain way, you've got to feel that way yourself first. So practice. Practice the way you want to feel. So that you can get yourself into feeling that way. Why? Because we have our lives practiced the way that we were taught to practice. We weren't given a choice. But now I'm pointing out to you, you do have a choice. But you have to practice it over and over and over again. You have to keep practicing. Keep remembering. Keep looking at these heavy thoughts that we have and change them to easy, light thoughts. So how are you going to apply this? Are you thinking about this? Well, I mean, basically, I'm going to, you know, continue my own practice and find ways to, you know, strengthen that. I actually have like um, a bit of a technical question, like about situations like say I'm uh, talking to someone, someone, right? So I'm, you know, paying attention to what they're saying and what their body is doing and all that. So that's like uses up quite a bit of attention. Like maybe I can, you know, I can still sense, you know, the way I feel physically, the way I breathe and stuff like that. Uh, but there's, I don't know, there's not necessarily space for me to like think thoughts to gladden my mind, or I don't know, like, um, like how would I approach the situation where I'm uh, busy with something else? So maybe I can't like do the, all the things I would normally do in meditation. Um, let me get this straight. Your uh, the situation is is that you're actually dealing one on one with a client, mm -hmm. and that that's the only thing that you're dealing with. There's not a third issue out there. The the the, the fire alarm is not ringing, or the cops are not breaking into the building, or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> you're <laughs> you're you're with them. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So. What I just did with you 
is what we're talking about here. I brought up something absurd to get you to laugh. This is the, and, but I did that because I was already laughing and smiling. Okay, so that would be the way then that you can handle someone is to give them your cheer. But it's got to be real, genuine cheer. You can't fake it. Because if you do, they'll get it that you're faking it. And they'll make you miserable as they are within five minutes. But if they can't make you miserable, they'll actually try. They'll come in and tell you such a state of woes. Oh, please feel bad because I do. And so that's the time that you have to remember that you are not going to go down the same rat hole that they went down. So that's the practical solution to that is to keep your mind together, keep your wisdom going, keep your sati going, continue to remember to breathe and to recognize how you do feel. Mm-hmm. And and uh, keep repeating to yourself on the inside as well as repeating on the outside that we're safe here. You don't have to feel insecure, that we are safe. Everything is all right right now. So long as that door is closed, we're here together. Everything is going to be okay. And so give them that reassurance. And reassure yourself that everything is okay. And guess what? You'll begin to start uh, enjoying. I know in the beginning, it's a lot of work to pay attention to what they're saying, paying attention to what they're doing, paying attention to all of this. I went through that training myself. I felt a failure at it because I couldn't keep track of everything that was going on. But I was just trying to be a perfectionist where, in fact, the really important stuff is going to be really obvious anyway if you look. You can see somebody's uptight, easy enough. And you can reassure them that they don't have to feel uptight. So this change model that we're talking about, you can actually begin to use that in your practice is giving the people permission to change, to feel okay, to feel safe and secure. Tell me what you got on your mind, it's not important. That's the way to begin to practice it, is is that making sure that you can stay in a good state. And it needs to be practiced, because look how often you have those heavy thoughts. And you'll really have heavy thoughts when the heaviest dude in the ward comes in. (laughs) He's going to make sure that you get how heavy his mind is. So you have to practice to get ready for that. So that's my advice right now is to begin to see that you can practice on both levels. One is because you're already doing this practical stuff. You're already in there. Mm-hmm. That's the time that you need the sati the most. You need to remember that you can, in fact, run the situation. That You're the psychiatrist here. You're the one in charge. And everybody in this room is going to feel just the way you want them to feel. But you're the first in line to get yourself 
to feel the way you want to feel. And then pacing and leading, you can get other people to feel that way also. You know what I mean by pacing and leading? Have you ever heard of Bander and Grender or perhaps NLP, neurolinguistic programming? Mm, I've heard of the term, yeah. Okay. So I'm, re I'm referring to uh, their, their style of uh, communicating with the person, getting on their level, and then pulling them out of it into your joy. You can recognize, oh, you look like it, you're really unhappy today, or you look really angry today, or whatever like that. You acknowledge how they feel, but you do it with a great big smile. Then you, after you acknowledge that they're in that state, you could say, hey, but you can smile if you wanted to. Or you can tell them a joke. In fact, a psychiatrist should have a very large joke book. Of jokes that he could remember to tell these people to help them lighten up. So I tell jokes a lot. So this is the way that I would recommend that you, you practice. Practicing alone, getting your own mind easy, happy, contented, safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied, successful. Then you can walk into any ward and treat everybody with that mentality. Pretty soon, they'll all be happy campers, one at a time. It doesn't mean that they're going to get out of jail free, but it does mean that they can enjoy themselves while they're there. You look safe and secure and content and satisfied right now. Is that how you feel? I would say so. Great. Well, you keep practicing like this. Give me a call in the next several days and we'll continue on with this. But I thought that today we would, since you, since you told me that you're doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. that you can start putting this stuff into practice right away. And we'll go into the deeper parts of our practice at a later time. Mm, okay. Yeah, that seems fine. All righty. Well, great. I'm glad to see you smiling and nodding your head. Yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marcus. We'll see you later. Enjoy. We'll see you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>